Diarrhea affects between 20 and 60% of travellers and it can cause distress and disruption to plans. A recent BMJ clinical review looks at the evidence for prevention and treatment to help health professionals answer common questions and provide travel advice to those visiting high-risk countries. I'm joined on the phone today by Mike Brown, a consultant in infectious diseases at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine and one of the authors of the review to find out more. Mike, thanks for joining me today. Uh, Pleasure, thank you very much. What do we mean when we talk about traveller's diarrhoea? So, uh, traveller's diarrhoea has been defined... Uh, for the purposes of studies more than anything else, really, but uh, patients who've had it recognize the syndrome, which is having an increase in frequency of bowel movements to at least three loose stools a day during a trip abroad. And when we talk about it, we usually talk about it in the context of people going to lower middle income countries. It's usually acute and self-limiting and rarely life-threatening but the studies show that up to 10% are confined to bed or need to see a physician, and others certainly have to alter their holiday or business plans as a result. Are there any groups of travellers who are more at risk of this problem? So I think we, we know even from the lay uh, media how what a risk group cruise ships are, and often there's huge outbreaks on cruise ships of uh, gastroenteritis due to things like norovirus. Um, But outside of that group, we tend to see it more in backpackers than in business travellers. But that's not to say it doesn't affect business travellers. And we see it in people going for longer uh, and increasingly to those who go to lower middle income countries. So um, people born abroad who go back to visit friends and relatives back in their country of origin tend to go to longer for longer, tend to eat different food and are at a slightly higher group. The other group to be, bear in mind in primary care and another reason for you know, reviewing your patient's medicines are acid suppression treatment is a risk factor because it allows a higher infective load to get beyond the stomach. So patients on uh, proton pump inhibitors and uh, H2 antagonists at increased risk. You mentioned norovirus. What are the other common pathogens that health professionals need to be aware of? So uh, one thing to say about traveller's diarrhoea is uh, probably in up to half of cases at least, we, despite trying, we don't find the cause. Uh, and so uh, probably this is because the majority of traveller's diarrhoea is due to organisms like uh, enterotoxigenic and enteroaggregative E. coli, which uh, most labs don't try very hard to look for in amongst all the other normal uh, E. coli bacteria in the gut. Um, The ones that when when we do look, uh, we find these E. coli's being the commonest cause, Salmonella's, Campylobacter's also being common depending on where you've been. Viruses are common and as a general principle, the longer the symptoms go on for, the more likely that we'll find the parasitic cause, in particular Giardia, and less likely that we'll find a bacterial cause such as Campylobacter or Salmonella. Is there um, any evidence that there are ways we can prevent traveller's diarrhoea? Well, we know that most traveller's diarrhoea is caused by eating food that's contaminated by these organisms. So uh, we know that if we can reduce the amount that we're consuming these organisms, we ought to be able to reduce the uh, the incidence of traveller's diarrhoea. And that's why 
we tend to give advice about always boiling water, always cooking food thoroughly, always peeling vegetables, avoiding ice, shellfish, avoiding buffet food in even posh restaurants where it's been sitting around for a long time. Having said that, studies that have specifically randomized people to uh, food and hygiene advice like this, uh, we haven't actually demonstrated that providing these sorts of preventative advice actually reduces incidence of traveler's diarrhea. We do know though, however, that hand washing is effective and we also know that in certain groups, uh, prophylaxis uh, can reduce uh, risks associated with diarrhea. The other things to say, of course, is that there are certain activities that predispose people to certain infections. So uh, men who have sex with men are particularly at risk of Giardia, of Shigella, and of uh, chlamydial infections like LGV. Uh, and um, people with advanced immunosuppression are at increased risk of salmonella and a range of other infections and in the in those groups in in, in the latter group whereas sometimes preventative antibiotics are appropriate so let's talk a little bit about preventative antibiotics when would you recommend those in what groups of patients are they suitable so uh we don't recommend it very often uh partly because people who are at sufficiently high risk that uh traveler's diarrhea illness will turn into a nasty uh, life-threatening illness, we try our best to uh, encourage them not to travel. So we don't often found ourselves advising it, but we do in some groups, for example, as I said, people with advanced immunosuppression, uh, people with uh, uh, active inflammatory bowel disease, people for whom a bit of dehydration would be potentially catastrophic for them if they have short bowel syndrome or bad renal impairment, then in those we, we may, uh, from time to time, recommend a prophylactic course of antibiotics. But it's not uh, something that we commonly do in our travel clinic. We prefer to uh, uh, advise people to use simple treatment methods for managing their diarrhea when it occurs for, uh, okay, so we prefer to advise people to manage the diarrhea when it occurs rather than prevent it. So let's talk a bit about the treatment options. You talk about sort of symptomatic treatment and the antibiotic treatments available. Can you talk about the symptomatic treatment? So oral rehydration uh, solutions are very effective and very safe and very easy to make. And that's definitely the first line of treatment for people with traveller's diarrhea. Uh, we in, certainly in secondary and tertiary care have always tended to frighten people off using anti-motility agents like liperamide because there's the theory and certainly the case reports and the patients we've all seen where this has made their colitis significantly worse and led to toxic dilatation and perforation. Having said that, I think we're increasingly saying that as long as there aren't features of a severe colitis and the patient's not uh, got good going evidence of sepsis, then it is probably safe to give anti-motility agents with or without uh, antibiotics in patients with uh, traveler's diarrhea. And we recommend starting the paramide with the first loose stool.
when you're talking about no evidence of severe colitis, you're talking about the absence of blood in stool, the absence of severe yes, abdominal no pains. No bloody stool, yeah. no severe cramping abdominal pains. Okay. For, for people who are, for example, going on short business trips, uh, who, for exa- who, you know, three days of being incapacitated by, by diarrhea will have a major impact on the success of their trip, uh, it's quite understandable the wish to try and uh, limit the uh, traveller's diarrhea illness as short as possible. It's, it's uh, all very well for us to recognise that it's self-limiting, but if it goes on for three days out of a five-day trip, then that's uh, not a good outcome for mm. the, the traveller. And so uh, we do recognise that uh, there is a potential advantage in giving antimicrobials if they shorten the duration of the illness. And there have been several studies now that have shown that short courses of antibiotics will, on average, reduce a three-day illness to a illness that only lasts for a day and a half. And uh, we'll counsel patients about whether that would be something that they would wish to take antibiotics to achieve or not. Um, and so, Mike, what's your advice for travellers who are abroad and fall ill who might approach a local chemist for treatment? A lot of people end up going to a local ke- local pharmacy and uh, it would probably be better if they took an appropriate short course of antibiotics with them or if they were unwell, go and see a local doctor rather than relying on, on the medications they're giving in a pharmacy. Is there any concern about that perpetuating antibiotic resistance? Well, there's already a lot of antibiotic resistance. So we used to treat uh, diarrheal illnesses with ciprofloxacin uh, if people had been traveling anywhere in the world. But now we wouldn't recommend that in people who've been in South Asia or Southeast Asia because ciprofloxacin resistance is now widespread. Uh, We would recommend azithromycin in those people. Uh, The question is, well, are we going to start losing other antibiotics by ongoing use of antibiotics. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, among others, are studying how uh, commonly travellers acquire uh, resistant bacteria when they travel abroad to try and identify whether uh, travel itself, travel plus antibiotics, or any other risk groups uh, results in the sort of resistant bacteria that are increasingly causing a problem in hospitals uh, in the UK, in Europe and elsewhere. Is there any suggestion that you need to take extra precautions in not necessarily uh, immunocompromised, sorry, let me start again. Is there any um, additional advice that you give to vulnerable groups who may be immunocompetent but may still be at increased risk, say children or elderly, for example? Um... The, the standard principles apply really, hand washing, trying to avoid uh, food or water that's likely to be contaminated, carrying oral rehydration solutions with them and using them as, as, uh, as soon as uh, the symptoms develop. And uh, there are some people in whom we might recommend that undertaking a travel to South Asia where there's a high high risk of travellers' diarrhoea might not be wise. If we think about returning travellers, so people who've come back, as we say, a lot of this illness will be self-limiting. If someone presents to a non-specialist, when should they think about investigating and what should they look for? Okay, so um, 
as as we've both pointed out, traveler's diarrhea is usually a self-limiting condition. But uh, I like the study published recently that gave these figures that said that about 10% last longer than a week, 5% last longer than two weeks, and 1% last longer than a month. And those figures show us that there, there are a fair number of people who do come back and who have persistent symptoms. As a general principle, uh, patients who come back with diarrhea plus fever, it still remains the case that if they've been in the tropics and they've got a fever, then malaria does need to be excluded. Uh, and I, I have seen patients where the fact that they've presented with diarrhea has put uh, the initial physician off thinking about malaria as a cause. And sometimes the diarrhea can be a manifestation of the severity of their malaria-related sepsis. So uh, as a principle, fever, uh, if they've been in the tropics, would make me want to uh, exclude malaria. Persistent fever going on for more than three days, uh, those patients probably need attention. But I probably anybody who's had ongoing diarrhea for more than two weeks, you're starting to get into the realms of a parasitic cause that uh, does need uh, some specialist help in terms of looking for uh, organisms such as giardiasis, which can be difficult to find on simple stool microscopy. Uh, patients with other features, extraintestinal manifestations of inflammatory bowel disease, or patients with other features that might make them think that make one think that there's a, an underlying immunosuppression, those are all people also who obviously need to be referred sooner rather than later. What do we do at the Hospital for Tropical Diseases? Uh, we've got an open access walking clinic where people with fever or diarrhea or rash on return from abroad can self-present. What do we do? Well, we do a malaria film. We offer an HIV test. We take a stool for microscopy and for culture to look for uh, bacterial and parasitological causes of diarrhea. And we make assessment based on their symptoms about whether this is likely to be an ongoing uh, microbiological infection or whether in, uh, increasingly what we see in people who've had a uh, short-lasting instance of traveler's diarrhea is a post-infectious irritable bowel syndrome or post-infectious intestinal irritability we sometimes call it which can be in up to 30 percent of people traveling to high instance countries and those patients uh, the, the, their ongoing diarrhea is not due to an ongoing pathogen although we do find it useful to exclude Giardia before coming to that conclusion. And finally, Mike, just to wrap up, do you have some top tips for non-specialists who will be seeing and advising travellers, just general advice that you think is really important they convey? Um, so, OK, let me think about that one. Uh, did you have anything in mind, Sophie? What were you... No, I'm just sort of thinking, you know, if someone comes to you, often what happens is they say to you at the end of a, you know, a consultation, oh, and by the way, I'm going traveling next week and, you know, I'm going to X, Y, Z, what should I do? Just something that you, you know, the main, the main key points, it can, you can be repeating what you said, I suppose, and, you know, in a succinct way. So is it mostly about just the, the travel advice for health and hygiene, you know, sort of make sure they wash their hands or, or would you say, you know, to most people you should see? Yeah. So... So uh, standard travel, uh, travel advice is important. There are countries for which vaccinations, for example, in reducing rates of hepatitis A or typhoid, are particularly important. 
but uh, the, the travel consultation in primary care is also an opportunity to remind people about the risks that people take when they travel abroad. For example, risks of sexually transmitted infection, risks of uh, road traffic accidents, and uh, most of the morbidity and mortality associated with travel is actually due to the underlying disease that people with comorbidities travel with. So people with underlying coronary artery disease are increased risks of heart attacks and strokes, etc. So it's an opportunity just to make sure that the usual things are being done right for those patients and to remind them about the risks that they are likely to put themselves in with it when they travel abroad. And are there any resources that you would point non-specialists to to help them give travel advice? So I hope um, your uh, listeners are familiar with NAFNAC, which is the UK uh, Travel Health Network. It's got a great new website now, uh, Travel Health Pro, uh, and there's a huge amount of resource there for the uh, doctors and nurses and other health professionals in primary care and elsewhere. And uh, someone at the end of the phone if there's what's on on the website is not adequate information. Uh, there's a similar, uh, the Scottish uh, Fit for Travel website, uh, and then there are travel clinics for the more complex patients. For example, uh, we have one at Hospital Tropical Diseases. Uh, those, uh, there's also a lot of patient leaflets, which uh, you can find on that. Patient.co.uk has a, a lot of patient leaflets and other detailed information. Uh, we're very happy to chat uh, at the Hospital Trouble Disease, very happy to chat to uh, health professionals about patients they're worried about on return from abroad with uh, concerning symptoms and can see people, as I said, uh, uh, at a very short notice uh, where needed or provide advice on the phone otherwise. You've been listening to Mike Brown, consultant in infectious diseases at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, talking about traveller's diarrhoea, and you can read the full clinical review on the bmj.com now.